thinky, thirsty, and over 30. Welcome to Afternoon Army, a safe place for grown armies to dish and discover BTS. We are four ladies who just wanted to know their names and now can explain the meaning of Lachimolala. New to Army? No problem. Come along as we explore all the important business that Bongtan throws our way. Join us on the last Tuesday of every month as we hop in the clown car and drive to the circus. And stay tuned for shorter, snack-sized episodes between hosts and various correspondents. Because one thing we know is that content, well, it just keeps on coming. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. All right. Well, we are all here to have, in my case, an adult beverage and uh, talk a little bit about the trifecta of music videos that came out uh, from Minyungi, Suga, aka August D. So, um, you know, there has been a lot of Suga August D content coming at us hot simply because, you know, we're in tour mode and album mode and we are all going to be uniting at the time of this recording next week in Oakland to see the show, but this will not be the first show of the tour for all of us because Tanya just maybe in like a 60 second high level got to see, was it the second night in Chicago? Yeah. Second night, Friday, May 5th. All right. So give us just a rundown of like what that experience was like for you. Oh my gosh. So Amy from our sister podcast, Afternoon of Delight, suddenly had an extra ticket. So I jumped on the chance, flew up there, got to meet her, which was one of the best things about it. And uh, we went to the show and it is very intense, even more intense than you get from the clips. It is an entire narrative arc about his healing journey and so if you have any trauma any of you out there listening have any trauma of your own or are interested in the healing process you're going to find it probably very powerful very moving in fact at the beginning of the show they even I don't want to give a lot away I'm going to avoid spoilers but they give a trigger warning for the initial video that they show because it depicts his car crash Uh, there's like a whole sensory experience that they do about his car crash that's not just video, it's other stuff too. And uh, it's very, yeah, very impactful. The audience was so into it. I mean, imagine an entire arena full of mostly Yungi biases. I'm sorry. It was a very intense experience. <laughs> and I'll just say that, yeah, you could, you really felt the power of it. It was very intimate. We were in the back row of the top section because the Alliance arena or the, uh, what is it called? The um, anyway, yeah. Rosemont, the arena there. um, All state, all state arena is very small, even smaller, I think than the Oakland. And we were in the top row, uh, but across from the stage and I didn't have to hardly look at the screen unless they were doing something special with it because I could see him so well, that's how intimate it is. And so I just felt really lucky to get to see him in that kind of environment. So anyway, any of you who are still scheduled to go out there, you're in for something really, really special. I've never seen anything like it. 
And so speaking, given that the other experience you have is seeing permission to dance uh, in Vegas, where, Mm -hmm. you know, we did get to see them closer up when they came around in the carts. Yeah. Besides that, you know, we weren't far, we were in the 100 level, but you know, it's a stadium. And so it was a lot of times like peach colored bodies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This was a little closer than that. I could see his face. I mean, it was small, but I could see his face. I didn't look at the screen all that much unless I wanted to really see what he was doing, if he was doing something special. And they also did some special like video things sometimes that went along with the song. And yeah, so it's it, it felt really intimate. And you really got that sense of, he, I'm in the room with Min Yoongi. You know what I mean? And that's pretty, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I went to see J-Hope at Lollapalooza too. And this was a very different kind of setup, obviously. But there too, you felt like you were with him. And even though he was a little further away from me, but yeah, this 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 is a special experience. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. I am so glad you got to have that experience. I'm so yes. glad you got to meet Amy. Over yes, that was one of the best things about it. Yeah. And we met so many great people. Oh my gosh. I just love I love meeting ARMY. I love going to shows and meeting people. So I can't wait to do this with all of you. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm so oh. excited to, mm-hmm. I think I have folks because I am the closest to the show mm-hmm. at an hour and 20 minutes without traffic away from the arena. So um, yeah, I've got folks starting to fly in on Saturday. So, and then, you know, I think you two are the last to leave, Allison and Tanya leaving the Saturday after. So it's like a full week of arminess. It's going to be amazing. Special. So, yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, tonight we just wanted to talk about, um, we unpacked the album recently and at the time it was just, it's too much content to get through. And so we thought we would talk about these music videos because there's a lot to say about them and they're really high budget, really high quality. And they've got a narrative story arc that connects that, you know, invites a lot of unpacking. So tonight we're going to be talking about Detwita, Hagum, and um, Amygdala. And so who wants to like take the floor and, well, actually, why don't we start off by playing a a quick game? (laughs) Because I like games. So before we get into the heavy duty analysis, let's do something fun. So this is just a quick, would you rather that you each need to just go with your gut. So first we're going to start with Detwita and would you rather with the king or the slave? (laughs) The slave. Oh, go ahead. Allison, Allison saying the slave. Yeah. Give a, give a quick justification. Uh, gut <laughs> like my, my gut says my sternum says the slave I think it's the um the car when he comes in in the car like and he's like okay now now I'm here I think that's that's the moment yep like it mm-hmm. all right Tanya Megan um I'm gonna say the king because of the sword <laughs> all right i'm gonna go with the slave just because that was a lot of energy man he's throwing a lot off a lot of energy right there that's all i can say 
And what about you? We're going to balance it out. I'm going to go with the King too. And here is why, because I watched a reel last night too late. And it was essentially like, you know, it was, it was doing Hegem instead, but essentially it was like, don't go with the hero because he's going to sacrifice you for the greater good. Go for the villain because he will burn the world down for you. And that's the energy that the King gives is like, you know, is it a healthy? No. Doesn't need to be. <laughs> but when he does be. like the off with the head gestures, I'm like, we. <laughs> it's no, it's the when he does the, he puts his thumb, thumb out and he's like, thumbs down. And I'm like, ah. Yes. And I had back in the day a real thing for like historical figures sometimes. And I got really into like Octavian Caesar Augustus. Don't ask me. I like, I would write myself fanfic, basically like time traveling back for this man. So my gladiator Coliseum, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down power thing. (laughs) Um, I'm a slut for uh, Joseon historicals. So like I'm all in, like I watch historicals all the time. I, I don't know what to do with myself. So yeah, the king. All right. So, okay. One more and then we'll get to it. And that is for Hegum. Are you going cop or crook? Absolutely crook. Hands down crook. Tell me, tell me the shift here. When he's dancing in that, whatever that is, apartment of his, I don't even know what it is, like a room. His lair. Yeah. His lair. And he's throwing money around and he like, swings and smiles at the camera with that cigarette half hanging out of his mouth done crook every day of the week i say crook yeah for and for the reason that you said you chose the king is like that crook would burn down everything for me i don't get the same vibe from the king in detroit but i know that he would do that for me in hiccup yeah same for me same same rationale all right well i'm going crook too for this one so i'm not saying the cop's not hot but there was like there's something especially about his like early rapping because you know sometimes he talks about like i've heard him not dismiss i mean i i think he does like august d like his first you know d1 or whatever his first mixtape but sometimes i've heard him say like oh i feel like i'm unpolished here or whatever I like that sometimes he felt like he was rapping on the edge of sanity. And when his voice starts to get that, like, kind of like, like hysteria to it, I find it very compelling. <laughs> and so <laughs> definitely, uh, like speaks to me from that place of like, with the Joker callback to where he's like hanging out of the side of the police car, just kind of like bathing in like the chaos. There's just something there. And the fact that he just looks like, humidly sweaty the entire time in that like Hawaiian-ish shirt I just why make it make sense I don't I can't all right so uh the man himself Yungi said that we should look we should watch these videos in order to kind of understand his messaging so let's talk about it like that so let's start with Deshwata and who wants to open the floor with like what what do we want to talk about with that Twitter? I, I could just start with something that I looked up today because I, I couldn't remember exactly what Detwita meant. And so I looked it back up again and it is basically 
kind of a musical style or genre using, I think, wind instruments and drumming uh, that's done to introduce, it's a Korean genre, and it's historically was used to herald the arrival of the king. And so, you know, the how how perfect is that <laughs> for this story? And it's as though Yoongi is not only, it's not only heralding the king who's part of the narrative of the music video, which we'll get into that whole character and and how it all connects with all this bigger story that he's developing. But also, um, it made me think about his song, August D, from his first mixtape, which is really a full album, and how he sampled, I think, James Brown. And it sounds a lot like drum corps music. And it made me think about, I wonder if that was like an early reference to De because there's like this drum wind kind of um mar- it's a mar- it's marching music basically what, what i read about Dichwita as a musical genre on wikipedia was that it's also kind of a marching music and it made me think i wonder if in august d that sampling that he did that sounds like band music and a march was an early reference to this like him announcing himself on the scene you know like i'm here i'm the boss i'm the king you know even though i know later he's also distancing himself somewhat from his fame and success and trying to ground himself, but he's also announcing himself on the scene. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's, those are just some unpolished thoughts about that. Yeah. I think that, you know, we're introduced in this video to two characters and it's set in, you know, what appears to be the Joseon dynasty. And we're seeing that we have a tyrant King and then we have a commoner and also I'm using the term slave just because in the lyrics like you know the word slave does come up so you know theoretically possibly a slave um but I think that one thing that you're getting at that I do agree on is that um the song really is like a reference to Suga kind of reflecting on his career at that point and kind of coming from a hip-hop basis of like you know talking themselves up right like it's quite a confident song and kind of a confident message and in this one look sugar has long grappled with the idea of the haters <laughs> and he has like revisited coming up against the haters over and over and this is common in hip-hop in general but like he really seems to like more than the other two like i mean it's not that like j-hope and like rm never grapple with like the antis that they've come across but there's something that really seems to drive Yoongi about the fact that like you know BTS has had its share of haters and so I feel like Deshwitov really to me focuses a lot on that idea of like folks who've dismissed or hated on them in the past yeah I was gonna say Deshwitov and Hagem after listening to them over and over for this podcast specifically and then I ended up somehow, because I always end up on these rabbit holes on TikTok, I ended up on diss track TikTok. There's a creator that's actually remaking famous diss tracks from the early, like mid to early 90s. And she did one for when Ice Cube had his debut and she did one for Tupac. And this is a di- like Detrata and Hagem are diss tracks. 
And he may be talking about his climb. You know, he's in Detroit, he starts as a slave. He goes from being like very much talking about how he was a slave to the industry, trying to like work his way up. But then also the king is talking about he's still hated, you know, here I am and I'm still getting this hate. And so like when I finally put those two things together, I think that also like Leah was saying, it really speaks to his hip hop roots, you know, like on his, uh, a lot of his playlists that he's been um, sharing with us, with ARMY, he has Eminem on there. He has some um, Biggie Smalls on there. And I just feel like this was his way of like having a diss track without saying it was a diss track. <laughs> but if you really listen to it and pay attention, that's exactly what it is. And I have a lot of respect for that. I think he did it really well um, with people going, wow, this song is so cool. I love it. And it's talking about this and this. And it's like, it's also a diss track. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's a genius, whatever he does, but I do love that. Um, and I do love some of the lyrics where he is really putting it out there. And with to Hagem, I'll tell you why I love Hagem so much because it's also a diss track. So let's just like pause for a second and do some like fun little Easter eggs that are in the, um, the music video. So we do get a very short cameo from two BTS members. Does anyone want to speak to like the quick cameo that we see? Uh, Jin and JK are in the background at the beginning of the video and they have a little scuffle on the street in the market. Yes. And then we also have, and look, full disclosure, I did not catch this. Um, I watch things sometimes just to be entertained. <laughs> and so that's what this video has been for me. But the butchers at the beginning of the video are also the executioners at the end who um, basically like switch alliances and move from like, you know, and acting on the role of the king to acting to support, you know, the more of the commoner archetype, right? And so I found that to be, and there's a callback that actually happens in Hegem that's very similar that we'll talk to when we get to Hegem where we have a character who does a role reversal as well. In in the video, there's obviously like Yungi and then six backup dancers, so the seven, and then there's a female and she represents Army. And she gives him the keys that like he takes to go to the castle, and the key represents royalty. Yeah, the jade key that he gets. Mm -hmm. The jade key with the coral, the coral key with the jade charm. Yeah. So I guess look. Any thoughts on the fact that we see the king and, you know, we hear the lyrics like, you know, referring to a king, but we're not seeing the king being portrayed necessarily in like the best light, like becoming more of like a despot, basically. We see a lot of heads and bags. We see a lot of like the off with the head. So basically we almost have like an id that has taken over and we have that scar. So that becomes interesting as we unpack the other videos. Whereas like the first time I saw it, I just thought it was a stylistic scar. Did anyone else have like any other ideas about the scar? I think to me, it just meant that they were connected, that they were like parts of a whole when I watched the video for the first time. And then obviously like 
as we go along, we'll continue to see more parts. Yeah. So we do see, yeah, we see the scar on the king. We see the scar on the slave slash commoner. Go ahead, Megan. I was just gonna say, I think it's really interesting now, like unpacking this and the way my brain works. Sorry, it worked a little slow, but the call to the butcher, like the butchers, almost makes me think that maybe he was born into the butcher, like a butcher family. And what I learned from watching K-drama is that was like lower than low. Like if you were from the butcher's family, you were like garb, you were trash and nobody wanted anything to do with you. So now I'm wondering if that is a call to, cause we see the butchers in the beginning, right? And then they come and like save him at the end, not save him at the end, but give him the opportunity to be the hero at the end. So just really interesting to me cause knowing what I know from my limited knowledge of that, like Joseon, like hierarchy society, society the butchers were like nobody. Um, and you, I mean, the slaves were treated better than the butchers. So that, I don't know, that just struck me right now. It was like really interesting. Yeah. And exactly that you're speaking to that from like, you know, one of my favorite dramas is Mr. Sunshine, where one of the major characters comes from a family where the parents were butchers and were treated like, you know, they, they were of like the lowest caste. Allison? going like Megan my brain is processing slow but uh going back to the scar I read somewhere um that you couldn't become king if you had a scar in like Korean history so he wouldn't have been able to become the king with that scar which I thought was interesting um but that that would need to be fact-checked because that was a random internet They've used that in at least other dramas. So I don't know about full historical accuracy, but in Moon Lover, Scarlet Heart, Ryo, that was like definitely a thing was, you know, having a scar was like a big deal. Yeah. I think I saw somewhere that some of the symbolism of the the royal seal in Dichwita, like the dragon has, I probably get this wrong, four claws instead of five or something like that. And that suggests that the king is not um, legitimate. I read mm-hmm. that somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then one last thing that I just want to point out before we kind of move on to the others, and we can certainly circle back and call back, is um, he also does, and he does this pretty quickly, but he does this in a lot of songs, but he does make a reference in this one of people using drugs and talking about it in like a uh, detrimental way, basically like you're just like a druggie essentially. And like, that's why, like how you're coping with the fact that I'm so awesome is by like being a drug user. And I'm going to bring it up just because more specifically in other songs, he disses people for pill popping very specifically. And so I want to touch on that once we get to the last music video. (laughs) So just like a little note there to like revisit that. So, okay, let's go. Wait, one last, one last thing. I don't know if you noticed in the very beginning, there's actually tangerines hanging uh, right when the video opens, he walks by and there's like a thing of tangerines hanging. And I'd never caught that before. And I thought it was hilarious. They're like I, hanging on a string. I did not catch that. So random. <laughs> All right. So let's move to Hegum, which look, I thought like Dishwita has so many views, did so well. He talked about how after it aired, he had like offers for movie movie scripts. And then he was like, oh, I turned them down because I'm not an actor. And it's like, you are actually an actor. 
So, I mean, Hego had big shoes to fill, right? So how do you, like, first, just like quickly, how do you think it did? Like, what were, what was your expectation versus reality? It made me want a 20 episode K-drama of it. That's what, that was my immediate reaction. I was like, more of this immediately because I'm an MTV kid. I grew up with MTV. We got MTV in our house when I was like five. And it's, I mean, it really watching MTV really shaped my taste in music and how I consume music and all of that. And I have not, until I started being ARMY, I forgot how much I loved music videos. Um, I have not seen good music videos in so long. Um, I kind of forgot what they were supposed to look like. And this was a flipping masterpiece. Like I remember like putting in our group chat, I can see why they asked him to be an actor. It's fucking fantastic. More of this. I, the, I, I have to speak also my, like I love it so much because of the lighting. I don't know what it is. The colors in that video make me happy. And the video is really dark, but the colors just bring me so much joy. So I don't know, whoever the artistic person on that was, chef's kiss. Because my immediate reaction was like, I love this. I actually watched it like four times um, on the first night, like just kind of back to back to back because I just couldn't get enough of it and wanted to see all the things and different like parts of it paying more attention to this, paying less attention to that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, it blew me, it blew me away. Um, same. I had high expectations, but Yungi never lets me down. So I was not surprised that the video was amazing. Um, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning to watch it because I'd fallen asleep when it aired in, I, I loved the nods to De Chuta, like, the alley, the, the all the things that were sort of dropped in there. Obviously, there were seven dancers total, including Yoongi. Um, so things that were like, feel like gifts to ARMY of like, here you go, I'm giving you this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then just the stunning, it was just stunning and violent, but also well done. Um, so yeah, it was beautiful. I found it, as usual, anything to do with Bangtan, even though my expectations are high, they're always exceeded. And I'm always surprised and can never fully anticipate the creativity and the genius that's going to go into whatever it is that they're going to make. So I'm always blown away, which is one of the most, it's just such a fun thing to always be so surprised by them. Uh, it makes it so exciting. But uh, it was just so, in addition to all the things you all have already mentioned, it was so cinematic. And uh, I was reading Dulcet Lyrics, uh, which is sort of the premier source for anybody who doesn't know uh, for lyrics translations for BTS with a lot of analysis and a lot of background on some of the phrasing, which is really helpful for our rap line members because they are such uh, geniuses and wordsmiths. Uh, and there's so many, uh, Korean is just so, seems to be so particularly beautifully designed for wordplay. <laughs> and uh, so they explain some of the nuances, which is really helpful. And um, there are actually a lot of movie references in Yoongi's lyrics. And so it doesn't surprise me that he has made his premiere music videos so cinematic and narrative 
and that there are so many homages to what must be some of his favorite films. Uh, and uh, we'll provide the links to those lyric translations and they give you some of the movie references. But, you know, even in the bathtub in Hagum, there's a reference to Tony Montana, <laughs> right? As well as to some, um, you know, classic Korean films. Um, I think he even said in one of the interviews or someone said that the 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 set itself they ended up going to thailand because the the there's there was only one other place in korea that had that kind of quality that they were going for of that kind of old hong kong type of action film and le seraphim had already just used it recently in a music video so they decided to go to thailand to this place that's actually about to be torn down so this <laughs> this music video is going to preserve it i suppose um for for our memory but uh, yeah, so that was what I wanted to add is that there's all these, for movie buffs out there, there's all these cinematic references that we can also explore in our abundant spare time that BTS allows us to explore such things. <laughs> so yeah, speaking of what you just said for the setting, um, on Twitter, some Eli's said that it is an old street in Bangkok that is called Wang Nakorn Kasim. And it had been an area that was famous for selling musical instruments, but recently got off to uh, recently got bought off to be redeveloped into a luxury area. And it's currently closed to the public at the time of this recording. And um, how perfect that a hegum is actually a traditional Korean string instrument. Yes. How do, how do they get all these references and crossovers to work? If I tried to do it, I would never be able to. It's amazing. Yeah, so it's a stringed instrument. And then it's also the idea of lifting a band on something. And um, and so, okay, so in Hegum, we see that we're in modern day now. We're not in Joseon. But that struggle between like the tyrant and commoner is continuing. And in this case, we're seeing the same struggle for power, except in this case, we have more of like an underground like street criminal and a police officer. Um, and one other thing before I circle back to that is, again, like this is a diss track, but we do see like it's changed because in the first one, it feels much more like kind of like attacking the haters. And in Higgum, I feel like it's attacking more like societal ills and things that are kind of just like effing us all over in society. I mean, he even calls out YouTube <laughs> and like the flexing that happens on YouTube. But it's just kind of like a bigger context of um, like talking about like that misinformation and selfishness that we live in. And I am curious. I know. So he wrote Hegum not long after Deshwata. However, it does unpack nicely and some of the other songs on D-Day, too, with the fallout that happened after Festa 2022 when they announced that they were going to, you know, not be going on world tour and kind of suspending group activities for the most part. And there was all this information that was like, the band is broken up, like BTS is all over, blah, 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 blah. And he even spoke to it. Like Yoongi was the one who spoke to it during um, the Busan concert. That was like, you know, folks were saying that like we broke up when we just said we were taking a hiatus. And it's like, it's almost like, did they want us to break up? Like, what was the, like, what was the goal here? And so some of like what he comes up against and is pushing back on, I don't think it's without grounding. Like they sneeze and people are trying to like interpret what they're doing. And sometimes people are looking, and a lot of times people are looking to do it by sensationalizing it. 
and making it be a bigger thing than necessarily it needs to be. And imagine trying to be like a creator in that, like I'm still me in here just trying to like do my work. Yeah. I was going to say like one of my first react, well, I mean, first reaction was like, I loved it, but as I sat with Hegem longer, what I really admired was his, the way that he was able to basically talk shit about things like Billboard without saying it was Billboard um, and things like the Grammys without saying it was the Grammys. Um, because I feel like for so long for him personally and the way he had talked about it in the past, those, those were big deals to him. I know that winning a Grammy was like a big deal to him. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's a big deal to him anymore. I think he would like one. Um, but I don't know that that's like, I don't, I don't know. And I'm speculating, but I don't know that that is what he hinges on. Like, am I successful or not? Right. Because for so long, that was like, if they won a Grammy, it would prove to the world that they're legitimate. Well, they are legitimate. We've already established that we've been establishing that for a while. And hope, you know, J-Hope can sell out his Lollapalooza crowd and Jimin can get in the top 100 as number one. And Yoongi can sell out a world tour. Obviously, they're legitimate. Obviously, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So what I really liked about Hagum is that this was a diss track that was kind of dissing the industry that still doesn't believe in them, that's still questioning their legitimacy when it, there's no basis for it anymore. Ten years ago, maybe. Eight years ago, maybe. But even five years ago, not really. Me living in my bubble five years ago, being a mom of two kids and not knowing anything about K-pop or K-drama, I still knew who BTS was. I just didn't know a lot about them. I, I saw them on magazine covers and things like that. I saw them on social media, but I wasn't, you know, into it like I am now. So that's the thing that I loved about this song is that he's really putting it out there. He's putting it out there to society, but he's also putting it out there to like the the music machine, I guess is what I'll call it, because I don't really know what else to call it. Um, the other thing I really loved is that he's kind of sticking his middle finger up to the idol machine as well. And I, I say that lightly, but when he lit that cigarette, we know what that was about. That was a nod because everybody had their panties in a bunch about Kim Taehyung smoking a cigarette. And he's out here saying, no, because I'm grown. We're grown. We're going to do what we want. We're going to make the music that we want. Take it or leave it. And that's what I really felt this that this song really encompassed. And I loved it. I love that part of it um, because it's like he knows, he absolutely knows what he's capable of. He absolutely knows what he has in his grasp. And he's telling you, you either take it or you leave it. I don't really give a fuck anymore. That's on you. It's no longer on me. And to me, that is like, that is hard to do, but applause to him that he's doing it. Yeah, I d that makes me think of like when you zoom out and you watch the videos and you like know his like trajectory and his desire to be a rapper and to have the big rings, the big cars, you know, all of that stuff. And then you zoom out even further watching the D-Day documentary. He's like, yes, all of this, but I'm going to do it from a better place. Like, I do want to be the best because I am a genius. Like I am actually a musical genius and you better respect me. He doesn't say it like that. Like he's much more mindful, but 
he's like, I want these things because I'm really good at this. Like, this is my talent. And so zooming out, he wants all of that. But now it feels like he's looking at it through just a different lens of, like you were saying, my identity isn't tied to getting these things, but I know I'm the best at this. And so therefore I should have those. At least that's my interpretation of it. I was going to say too, really quick, I, and I think it has to do with this, the cultural differences. Uh, Korean society is very respectful. Um, they use a lot of honorifics and things like that. And so I think, like you said, he's careful with his words. And I think it's a real testament to the type of respect he has um, in his culture and like as a man, um, which I admire. Because if this was Eminem, if this was, you know, God rest his soul, Tupac, if this was Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, anybody, it would he wouldn't be doing interviews. He wouldn't be doing D-Day document, like D-Day documentaries and being respectful and being careful with words. You know, any Western hip hop artist would just be spilling tea and not in the best way. So like for me also, what I like about his music and what I like what he's done with D-Day and up until this point is that he still maintains this level of respect for those he's dissing and those he's making music for. And that has to be a really hard balance, but he does it and he does it really well. That's interesting that you say that because I mean, that's a theme in amygdala, right? That you, you know, wanting as an individual to have the total freedom to do or say whatever you want. He says that could lead to someone's death. Is it really freedom if you are, you know, using your freedom in a way that harms others? And he's mindful of that. That's, yeah, that's a great connection. Thank you. Yeah, and to go off, this isn't my um, interpretation of this at all, but it comes from the Mandarin Mama. I don't remember her um, podcast that she did. She did a Yungi episode and she talked about Detrita and how him coming out and saying, I want to be the best rapper is a huge deal because he's saying like, I want to do this, not like me as a collective wants to do this. And you should, I, we should find the sh- um, her episode and link that in our show notes because it's really, really interesting. And it definitely gives um, cultural perspective that as a white woman, I just didn't have. And so just, yeah, it's fascinating. I think her podcast was called uh, Nuna Army, similar name to ours, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so we can we can definitely find that episode. So I just wanted to bring up like a couple of other just like little Easter egg things. So we saw that there was um, like some subtle double double crossing in Deshwata between the butcher then becoming the executioner. And so um, in Hegem, we see also kind of just like in the more of like the cinematic story, um, one of the men that like the street criminal is kind of supposedly stealing from um, right after the police officer is called, we see the criminal leaving the building and he kind of like nods a little bit. He gives like a little nod and it's very quick. But at the end, um, we see that the person who is drowning him is the same person that he gives like the little nod to. And that's when he comes up with like the gun out of like the water and like the garbage can. So, I mean, it's like a little convoluted, but essentially it just shows that like, to me, what it 
what it mean to me, what it kind of says a little bit on the, on the nose, but I'm not saying that in like a detriment is things that feel powerful have cracks in them. And like that confidence that those systems hold isn't always like the truth, right? To me, that's what it shows is like, like corruption can beget corruption as well. Um, Because here we have like, you know, kind of like the shady cop and within the shady cops, like organization, there's cracks within that system, just like within like the King system, there's cracks within it. And these are all his systems. And so he's kind of reflecting on that too, because that's the thing is, even though we're seeing like heroes and villains or anti-heroes and villains, these are all him too. And we see the scar, the scar is fading, but the scar is there, which is going to bring us to the origin of the scar, which is what was meant to be the final watching video. Like if you're going to put it all together and I find it interesting, it comes at the end but I think it's worth unpacking. And, um, and so that's talking about the, um, the amygdala video. So not so much a video that you would rewatch and rewatch like the first two, right? Am I right here? <laughs> yeah, I found rewatching the videos, like, I mean, obviously like this one was the most emotional, um, for many reasons, but yeah, not one you can just sit and watch on repeat. It has a trigger warning. I actually had to log in to my YouTube account to watch it because it wouldn't let me watch it otherwise. Because it yeah, I had to click twice. Uh-huh, me too. Um, which I think is really interesting. And but the dark and stormy in me just thinks it's gorgeous. That's my first time I saw it. I was just blown away. We're all old enough to have been through the wars a few times, and yeah, I found it very relatable and healing and beautiful even though it was hard to watch so something i want to talk about and you know anyone's welcome to jump in but allison you in particular is that you know the amygdala is the part of the brain that's processing trauma and so something that you know you and megan i think we've all read now the book omened but you and um megan both did a podcast on this is um that Almond was a really popular book in South Korea, still is, but we saw all of the members reading it during um, kind of like that 2019, 2020 period, especially we saw Yoongi himself with the book in, in the soup. And that was also, we now know a time that he was like showing Jimin the song he was writing. Um, and I find it fascinating that he says this was originally going to be for all seven of them which makes me think that he was like inviting everyone to add to their trauma story. I don't think it was like he wanted everyone to sing his trauma story. I think the idea was going to be that like everyone contributed something to it that was not given the go ahead for whatever reason. And so he took it on solo and it's become a very personal song. But do Allison, do you or Megan just want to speak briefly to the book Almond and kind of the tie in to Amygdala? Because I think it's a really important connection. Well, the book was, okay, so it's hard for me to separate the book from the song now, not in a bad way, but when I read the book, I thought the book was so beautiful in the way that the story was told, because it's actually told from the point of view, the main character is the one 
that has a small amygdala. And so you get a sense, the way the story is told, he does not understand emotion and he doesn't understand how to process other people's emotion. And he doesn't understand when things are emotional. Um, and it's about how he is grow. He grows up from a small child into adulthood with this, uh, I don't want to call it disability, but like with this affliction. And so as you go through the book, he has to learn physical cues There's a part in the book I just find so fascinating, so beautiful. He's falling in love with somebody and he is sweating. He has a fever. He doesn't feel good. His stomach's upset. And he goes to the doctor and he's like, all these things are wrong with me and I don't know what's wrong. And the doctor's like, okay, well, what were you doing when this happened? He's like, well, I was talking to camera, the character's name was talking to her and she did this and she said this and then she walked away and the sun was setting and he was like, you're in love. And he's like, no, there's no way. And he's like, yes. That is what love feels like. And he is like, okay, I don't understand what that means. And so all that to say, now when I hear this song and now when I, as someone who's read the book and is listening to the song, it's such an unpacking of emotion that I don't know he did until he read that book. I think that he had those emotions maybe and that they were with him through his life, in his heart. And he kind of just put him in a little box and said, cool, stay here. And then he read that book and went, wait a minute. This makes sense to me. Because if if you're someone who doesn't process emotion well, or you're someone that doesn't understand emotion, reading that book is really eye-opening because a lot of the physical things they talk about in that book, that like the physical reaction to the emotion made so much sense to me. And I'm a very emotional person. So I just look at this as like, wow, he was able to process these traumatic events or this trauma these possibly been carrying around for a long time. And he did it in such a beautiful way. And maybe it's because he read this and it opened something. And I, I read a lot. I know a lot, we all read a lot. And I have had those situations where I've read something and it's just really opened my eyes to something in my own life and my own trauma or my own emotion. Um, And so it was like, it's really interesting to me how he was able to do this and how he was so honest and raw with this song um, and then this video. What do you think, Allison? Okay, so... One thing that comes to mind is, like we you talked about, Unje in the book is born with um, alexithymia, so he can't like feel emotions like fear and anger. And I, the way that you said it, of like he had put all of this, like Yungi had put all of this trauma in a box and just stuffed it down, and is like, no, like my nervous system can't handle that. I'm not going to acknowledge that, which is different than I don't have like the actual hardware to process this emotion. And so I think that like you hit the nail on the head with that, but there is a difference between making it hard to feel and your nervous system going into freeze or fawn and shutting down and saying, nope, can't deal with this. I'm going to numb out with 
Instagram, pills, drugs, alcohol, anything that you want to numb out on. Um, so that like came to mind while you were talking is like, it makes total sense. And if he's reading this is like, oh, like you have to feel things like your body's connected to your emotions. Random. No idea. So, yeah, it was very interesting. I have a question for you all. What how did you feel when you watched the music video and you saw that he was actually having a nightmare? That part of it. Because for some reason, that part of it just really, like, the the funny joke is he loves to sleep, right? Oh, you, he's always tired. He wants to be a rock in his le- next life. He just, he lays down in the studio, you know, eight of the 12 hours he's in there. But for him to put that on the screen, that he is like what looks like a couch in a studio trying to sleep and he's not restfully sleeping. He's actually having a nightmare. I thought it was a really interesting take on like the long running army joke that he just sleeps all the time. Cause now I'm thinking, well, maybe he takes naps all the time because he never gets a good night's rest because this is what's running through his head all the time. So I just didn't know if that's something that you guys thought of or like if that stuck out to you at all. Well, he has shared recently that he sleeps no more than like three hours at a time, which is not advisable. (laughs) Um, So I, yeah, I can't speak to it, but I can say that like, yeah, that certainly is, um, you know, yeah, he's, he seems to have some issues there. And I mean, I think that we see him in that dark room, which is like meant to be, to me, it was meant to be like symbolizing, like being in the amygdala. Um, and we do see him at one point, um, like one of his iterations eating almonds, which the character in almond eats because his mom feeds it to him thinking it's going to like grow the amygdala part of his brain so he could be more normal. So we see one of the characters at one point when he's in like more of like a green sweatshirt, just kind of like with like a nihilistic smile, popping almonds in his mouth. Um, so a couple things, I guess, that I wanted to mention. One is this is more personal. He seems to speak often very, like, this is a contradiction in terms with, like, specific general generality. I wouldn't say he's a very confessional singer in that, like, you know, in Indigo, I think we got some songs from Namjoon that felt, like, very, very personal. Um, I don't feel like we got that in Jack in the Box. We got personal in a different way, but in, but like Yoongi tends to even go bigger than J-Hope and kind of like more, like more of these like sweeping level, like, you know, and Tanya, I'd like to hear like your thoughts to this of like, you know, I felt like to me, a lot of times I feel like Namjoon's going into like the very personal and then like analyzing the F out of it. I feel like J-Hope tended to like, kind of like look at where he, he was fitting it. It still felt personal, but it felt like he was like, it wasn't that he had distance. It's just like his style isn't as confessional, I guess. And to me, Sugar's talking oftentimes in terms of like bigger than that, like more macro spaces of like love and people. And this song all of a sudden does like a very hard pivot to very, very specific examples of very, very personal things. Like his mom having 
what looks to be like a heart condition that was like in part triggered through pregnancy and probably resulted in a pacemaker. His dad being diagnosed with liver cancer and him getting the news when he was like working on a, like a professional schedule. Um, we do know about his motorcycle accident because, you know, that has been more talked about, but him kind of, again, getting into like the impact that that had of essentially he was working a part-time job because he didn't have income. He wasn't privileged. So he had to secretly hold down a job. Then he got damaged, which could have derailed everything. And the fear that you would have of being like, what, 18, 19, like a, like the youngest form of an adult you could possibly be legally. And thinking like, maybe I've lost everything I've hoped for because of this stupid accident. Um, And then throughout the video, and this is where I said I want to go back to like the pill popping, I found it interesting that we see a few scenes of pills being taken. And it made me wonder because I have just noted over time that he does. And I mean, I've, I've seen people call it out before too, like actually being like, this feels problematic because people take medication for so many reasons, including mental health reasons. So saying that you're taking pills isn't necessarily a weakness, but I've always felt like he means it more in terms of like taking it for addictive behavior, as opposed to like mental health is like the way I've personally taken what he's talking about except we see that he himself was likely taking pills, most likely for medicating for pain is my like read on it. But then I'm also curious because since that has been like such a thing that he's like railed against too, like, I don't want to get into like too much speculation, but like sometimes we do things and we make choices and we're not proud of them, even if like we're needing to do those things. And so I was just curious, like where some of that grapples, because I did feel like sometimes in that song, there was a sense of self-loathing. And so I was just curious at the, like the presentation of the pill popping, Megan. I think it's really interesting because I love the lyrics um, in this song when, uh, especially, you know, he says, I don't know your name um, because he's singing about himself. I think that's really interesting. Um, because I don't know if he's talking to himself or he's talking to his emotions, but the one, when I was listening and watching like the YouTube lyrics, this part like really stands out for me when you're talking about this whole pill situation, the lyrics go the best choice, then the second best choice, the third best choice choice. Yeah. Things I never asked for things that are out of my control. Let's put them back in one after the other. Yes, one, two. Yes, one, two. So I'm almost wondering like, and it might not have anything to do with the pill part of this video, but to me that says there were things that he had to do. What was the best choice? I can't do the, I can't do the first best thing. So I have to do the second best thing. Can't do the second best thing. So I have to do the third best thing. And I just, that really stands out to me of him being a place where he had to make choices that were beyond his control. And maybe like this says, let's put them back in one after the other and putting them in those little boxes to check later. Right. So we can't deal with that right now. So we got to go deal with this. So I just thought that was really interesting because the lyrics to me, like we've talked about before this, he says after the first verse, let's unpack them one by one. I just feel like, the so much of his his personal life was put into this song that we've never gotten before 
Um, and it's so raw. And anyone who's, I mean, Tanya's seen it live. Anyone that I've seen you know, on TikTok or social media that said watching this live, it's a full body experience. Um, there's tears. There's like when they say screaming, crying, throwing up, that actually did happen at one of the shows for one, one creator. Um, but it's so overwhelming. So I just wonder if, yeah, Leah, like he is exposing this part of himself because maybe that's something that he had to face too years after maybe not being the best judge of that situation. Um, so I don't know. I just, this song is really haunting to me. Um, and like we had talked before, I just feel like it's such a person. It's so much of his soul that he exposed. I just still am in awe that he actually did it. Yeah. And I think it's a good point because I think we all have trauma stories, like, and everyone has them to varying degrees of severity, but to be honest about some of them and share them with the world. I also wonder where there's like, and I'm not saying that this is something that people need to do. <laughs> Let me just like put a caveat on this. But when you hide things, I think shame can become very powerful and shame can really take on like its whole thing of like what you're hiding and what you need to front. And when you can tell your stories, sometimes some of that shame gets like it, it retreats and you start to get some of your power back. And I thought, I think I talked about this. I feel like I talked about this recently, not in this podcast. I don't know. Maybe I just like dreamed it too. But in the very first book I ever wrote, I wrote that got published. I wrote about a character who like my, one of my main characters has um, obsessive compulsive disorder. And in the author note, I shared that I did too. And it was the first time that I'd ever like put out that I did. And it felt weird because like, I'm pretty open about so many things and I'm very open to talking to other people about like whatever. And I'm like accepting of others, but to like share something about myself like that felt very hard to do. And I just kind of like did it and was like, blah. And like, even like my parents were like, what is this all about? And I, you know, I had to be like, well, <laughs> you know, like the quirkiness of my youth, like really got diagnosed at some point, <laughs> like later in life. Um, and so, yeah, I, to me, it resonated a little bit specifically because of that, because it felt like it was a hard thing to do. And I was like, just like, F it. I'm just going to like rip off the bandaid and like put it out there and just be like, you know, I'm not going to be as embarrassed by it. And, um, and so, yeah, I just, I found it to be an interesting thing that he really did go very personal with some pretty specific things. I almost felt like I watched all three of them yesterday, back to back to back. And I almost felt like in Detroitar, he was like, I'm killing the haters. And in Hagem, he's like, I'm still killing the haters, but the haters are a little bit different than they were before, like Leah said. And then I felt like Amygdala was, and now I have to face me. I can no longer hide behind this alter ego over here, and I can no longer hide behind this alter ego over here. Now I have to be myself. I feel like this is the most Min Yoongi 
we've ever gotten in amygdala. And now that he, cause you know, he said, I'm, I'm killing this part off. Right. Like that was like the big, one of the big things we learned as we were going into the al- album release was like, Oh, I'm killing off this part of me. This is probably the end. This is D-Day. This is it. And I get that. And I think that amygdala really was, that's great that I did that. And I like this alter ego is gone, but now I have to be me and I have to face me head on. And that's what he did. And I still, I watched the video again today and I still don't know how I sit with the end because his younger self is trying to get to his older self and they still can't get to each other. And I don't know what that still means for him and his healing because the way the video ends is one is trying to get through the door and the other one's on the other side of the door where it's raining and they don't get, they don't ever get to each other. And so to me, that's really interesting because now it's what's next. Because we, you're telling us you're healing and you're telling us you're doing all this work and you're unpacking all these things, but you're also telling us that there's a little bit more that you have to work on. And that's really interesting to me. So good for him, but that's still the end of that video really breaks my heart because you really want those. I really want young Yoongi to meet today's Yoongi, but I think they have a lot to talk about. Well, and this is something, and we haven't even talked about the fact that we see the origin story of the scar, which is self-inflicted with a box cutter very visceral but something I guess that I wanted to bring up to that point and Tanya you can speak to this is I know the set list from the concert (laughs) um and I find it to be a really interesting and I don't know what quite to make of it that the very last song that he chooses to do at the concert is the last which is a very powerful song but it comes from D1 and it's very much his story of mental health and not being in a good mental health place and likely self-harm implications his parents being like we kind of don't know what to do here and he's kind of like I don't know what to do with me and so I found it interesting because in some ways I was like it made sense to me to end it on like a d-day kind of like now I'm free and I'm liberated from these things instead he ends it on the last where the very last word he says before he walks away is this shit of just kind of like oh my god and I find that to be I still am curious to see like what was it that made you end it on that note that's interesting and I'd love to hear Allison's take on this as a professional but just as a person who like you said we all have our traumas and I've gone through a lot of therapy for mine uh I don't know it, it struck me as you know you you do the work but it's never really over and you will still, even after you do a lot of healing, it's not that your responses just go away or that you're no longer troubled by things or struggling. It's just that you have more tools to deal with them and to put them into perspective and to be able to regulate your responses to them. And so in a way, I I actually love that rather than be like, oh, I'm healed, I'm all done. Like you said, He's like, okay, but you know, there's here it is again, you know, back sometimes it's just back to square one, uh, facing it all again. And uh, it's more of a recursive process than a linear process. Um, and that reflected it really nicely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm an EMDR trained therapist and um, work with the nervous system and the, like through EMDR. Like you're reprocessing 
overwhelming or difficult memories or situations and you don't make them go away. You just help your brain access the more helpful information that it can't easily access if it's constantly in um, like lizard or um, like base brain part. That's, I can't think it's, it's late my time. I'm usually in bed by this time. Um, so that like, you're not, I think in the, in the amygdala, he says something, you know, like erasing them all. Um, but through my like clinical training, the way that I work with individuals who've experienced trauma, like we're not trying to erase, erase things. We're trying to help them access more helpful information. Like you said, Tanya, like help them get to the tools, um, help them regulate their nervous system. And because we all know that things are going to happen in life and um, we want to be able to help your brain access more helpful, useful information more readily. That ties so beautifully in with his reference to the lotus in amygdala too, which is of course a dharmic reference to the process of mind training. And of course the lotus is a classic symbol in uh, the dharmic traditions, all of them, <laughs> of the fact that we all have this innate capacity uh, for enlightenment, which I'm not a teacher, obviously, but in this respect, but uh, meaning from a Buddhist perspective, the union of wisdom and compassion, right? And that the lotus being a symbol that we all have that capacity, no matter how uh, how much we have are rising from the muck, right? The lotus grows out of the mud. And so no matter how uh, traumatized we are, how many bad decisions we've made, how, many, how much we've harmed others in this lifetime, or if you believe in this in other lifetimes, that we still have the capacity for enlightenment to become that, uh, to reach that potential of wisdom and compassion. Uh, and the fact that he referenced that in amygdala, I think, is really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, there's, there's so much to unpack there that I can't even begin. But uh, yeah, that's, a power, that's some powerful symbolism for healing, for growth, for forgiveness, for acceptance of our dark side, um, and also a very hopeful view of the possibility of healing and growth and um, mind training and so on. I wouldn't be surprised if he's meditating. <laughs> I was just going to ask too, because Leah brought up the part about the scar being self-inflicted. So this is like the origin story, even though it's at the end, right? This is kind of like the origin story or no. Cause like, this is how we find out he got his scar, but we got his, like, we got the scar first in Dechata and then in Hagem it's fading. But then now in Amygdala, we get the actual like origin of it. So what, like Mike, I guess my question is, do we have any idea as to why 
he has the scar or why he did the scar is this because that he did this because this is alter ego and he was creating someone to process this his trauma or did he just create like do the scar in the video just to show us like hey this is how i got the scar this this is the scar the scar represents all of these things the way the way i read it just to tie in with what we were just talking about was that and and maybe there's you know anything to do with bangtan there's always 10 different levels right we've always we always joke about that but the the one that made sense to me and maybe this is just me trying to make meaning out of it um that's meaningful to myself is that uh the, those wounds are self-inflicted and that ultimately it's through our own healing process that we grapple with them um and that our reactions to them are something that we have to manage um and that we can change to some degree our own reactions to those things and the trajectory of our own lives and healing is largely within our hands to to some degree you know of course there are always external factors but but maybe i, th I think part of the healing process at least for me and i'm sure for many others is also and, and especially coming from a place of trauma is that that i didn't do anything to deserve this necessarily and these are not things that are like not everything is an attack not everything is an external attack and that a lot of it is that traumatic response to things um anyway that's not a very clear response but those were just some muddled thoughts that i had in reaction to that not too muddled there was a lotus in there <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, just to speak, like, I guess, more literally, too, and I do think it's more symbolic, but talking about the last again, you know, there's a section in the last where he talks about going to a psychiatrist with his parents, and the doctor says, have you ever, and then there's like a beeping noise that cuts out whatever it is, and he says, yes, without, without hesitation, I answered yes, and I think it's kind of commonly understood either it could have some su suicidal ideation or at least self-harm practices. And so, you know, again, I'm not trying to like get into like a lot of speculation, but just looking at what's like actually out there. Um, I think that like, you know, we can also just see that self-harm happens a lot around trauma. You know, we make pain on the outside, like, the, you know, it becomes what's on the inside or, you know, what's on the inside becomes what's on the outside. So, um, yeah, and I think that's what makes it a very uncomfortable video to watch because holding someone else's pain is a really difficult thing to do, which is why I give like hats off to Allison doing trauma therapy work. But I mean, even to just watch it from this like lens of, you know, is it entertainment? I don't know if I'd say it's entertainment. Is it like growth for me to watch it yes but you know i mean we're basically invited to hold space and hold pain for someone and that's difficult to do yeah you said that beautifully leah and we did that with you today too so and i meant to say earlier thank you for sharing what you did uh, the fact that you were able to do that with your book and with us is a lot so thanks for letting us sit with you on that <laughs> all right well yeah. <laughs> look i guess we had our little therapeutic session <laughs> next week 
we're going to come together and see Augusty on the 16th and 17th of May. And then boy, will we have some stuff to unpack after that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I'm hoping we can do that in person if possible. Yeah, I was thinking, yes, we have I was, to. I was thinking if we could do like, just a quick, like hot take world, you know, just like yeah. blah, 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 blah. I'll do it on my voice notes on my phone. Like, I'm like, okay, go. <laughs> it's just screaming. Just a bunch of screaming. <laughs> That's it. Crying. Oh, amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, it was lovely to talk and I am so excited to talk to you all face to face. No screens. Yeah. Yes. Wow. It's been it's been a year. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The four of us have been together. And well, in we've fact, never we've actually all been we've together. We've never all been together. That's, That's right. We haven't. Oh, it's crazy. <gasps> this is a first then. Oh my god. We were supposed to be as many of you know from listening in the past, but because of uh, a scheduling snafu <laughs> it did not happen that way we missed each other the four three of us were always together at some time but not four because we missed each other like ships passing in the night <laughs> and Megan and I finally met yes. uh yet to come in the movie theater but oh, wonderful. Um, yeah it'll be so fun to see us all and then super fun also to see you know Megan and Amy from our sister pod yes. delight. and I have not seen Megan since like 2018 so this is going to be really oh, cool. wow that's I'm huge so excited that's yeah. huge all right so oh, wow. thank you augustine for creating <sighs> yes exactly yeah. <laughs> all yeah. right well, we'll catch up with you in like a week <laughs> sounds good can't get enough of bts cool neither can we so between shows, why don't you hop on over to at Afternoon Army on Instagram and join the conversation. Want to support us as a newer podcast hitting the scene? Share the love by leaving us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. And last, but certainly not least, don't forget to check out the other pod in our network, Afternoon of Delight K-Drama. Deep dives from three romance authors with new episodes every Wednesday.